Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well, witches. On today's show, we are going to be talking all about death and witchcraft. To keep things off, our book review is The Wicked Deep, written by Shay Earnshaw. Before I read this book, I went on to Goodreads and it had a Marmite kind of response to it. People seem to either love it or hate it, and I think I presumed I might hate it. But I loved it, hence it's on the show. I had this book on my to-read list for a while. It's a young adult's book, so nothing too difficult to read. It's a bit sugary and sweet in some parts, but despite that, I still loved and inhaled it. Couldn't put this book down. I didn't even read a physical copy. It was online, which is something I'm really bad at because I love to hold a physical book to smell the pages and crack the book's spine. I don't really do that. That would be sacrilege. But I do love to hold a real book. Yeah, I was hooked on reading this. Sometimes reading something online puts me off a bit. Although this book is set in summer, it has such a dark, atmospheric feel to it. The book is all about three sisters who came to the town of Sparrow by boat. They took the town by storm. As a result, they were claimed to be witches by the townsfolk. And this is the story about the curse they bring to the town of Sparrow year in, year out, since their deaths 200 years ago. So I'm not giving you any spoilers with that account, as what I've told you so far pretty much is on the book's blurb. I loved the author's writing style, how she described the sea, the island that Penny lives on, her mum who reads tea leaves and taught her daughter to, the three witches' different personalities, the cake shop that sells cakes tailored to help you forget anything bad that has ever happened to you. This same shop used to be the three witches' perfume shop two centuries before. Penny's two cats, the descriptions of the insides of the cottages that are on the island, especially the little wood fire they sit by all the books that are said to be on the shelves, also the orchards that they bring to life. This book had me imagining the centre of the sea and apples and burnt wood and all I could visualise were dark grey seas with sea fog rolling over them. I was halfway through the book and had all those feels and looked up the book on Pinterest just to see if I could find any fan-related pictures and so on. I discovered the amazing adverts that were released a few years back for the book's release and wow, they were just as I had imagined. 
I have put a link in the show notes for the little video for this book. It is absolutely my kind of witchy. I promise you this book hasn't been sent to me to read or anything like that. I just love it so much and wanted to find out as much as I could about the author and the book. This is such a perfect late summer, autumn, winter read. It is set in summer, but that doesn't really come through so much in the book. If you love books like Practical Magic, films like Hocus Pocus, and are looking for something light to read, this book is wonderful. This made me feel so cozy and content. It's a really feel-good read. So if you're having a rough time of it or need some escapism, this is it. The only thing I think might not be for some people is the romantic relationship within the book. But to be honest, this wasn't Twilight levels of romance, if you catch my drift. I don't hate Twilight. I just am not a very romance reading kind of girl. Hence, I only read witchcraft books. But it was a nice addition to this story. It's also a beautiful book aesthetically. The front cover is gorgeous. I'm considering buying a physical copy of the book. This was one of those books that when I finished it, I had that sad moment, which is so rare of, oh no, I don't know how long it will be till I find another book that makes me feel like that. Like, if you know, you know. So I'm going to read you the opening section of the book. This is called The Sea. Three sisters arrived in Sparrow, Oregon in 1822 aboard a fur trading ship named the Lady Astor, which sank later that year in the harbour just beyond the Cape. They were among the first to settle in the newly founded coastal town and they strode onto the new land like thin-legged birds with wavy caramel hair and pastel skin. They were beautiful, too beautiful, the townspeople would later say. Marguerite, Aurora and Hazel fell in love often and typically with the wrong men those whose hearts already belonged to someone else. They were temptresses and men found them impossible to resist. But the townspeople of Sparrow found the sisters to be much more. They believed them to be witches, casting spells on the men to make them unfaithful. And so, at the end of June, when the moon was nothing but a thin shard in the overcast sky, stones were tied to the sisters' ankles and they were dropped into the ocean just beyond the Cape, where they sank to the bottom and drowned, just like the ship they arrived on. Join me after the break to talk all about death and witchcraft. Welcome back. So let's talk all about death and witchcraft. Death is seen as a part of the cycle of life to us witches. I put the episode out for the Banshee and many conversations came up around the death doula's words that I mentioned at the end. Many of you got in contact with me to say that you've recently lost someone and about the moments that you had before and after them passing. We discussed how the veil does seem particularly thin and time a very strange concept around those moments. I remember a long while back, my mum asking me if I wanted to go and see the body of my granddad, Dennis, when he passed. 
He was the healthiest man we knew. He lives in Cornwall on Bodmin Moor. He used to ride his Shire Horse Lady regularly, go to play table tennis. He was always out walking or doing something exercise-wise. He was like an ex-boxer, wrestler. He ate so healthy. He grew all his own vegetables and so on. His passing was a shock, not going to lie. He was in his early 60s and it hit the family hard, my mum especially. We were asked if we wanted to see his body, mainly because I don't think anyone could believe that he'd gone. It was a shock. You know, he was, again, like the healthiest person we knew. But this was a memory I'll never forget. Not in a sad way, more a surreal way. I remember my mum saying to me before we saw him, it's a bit like a box of chocolates with all the chocolates gone. Because in essence, all the spirit that made him who he was and who he loved had left the building and this was his shell. That always stuck with me, but seeing him made it feel real and I was glad to have that moment. Many people I've spoken with about the death doula's words since that episode have said that no one really talks about death. We've lost a lot of connection with it and I feel that too. I'm very much on the Hedgewitch path currently, like aspiring, and I'm always interested in anything connected to the other side of the veil. I came across an old joke today, ask five witches what they believe and you'll come away with six answers. And that is likely where we find ourselves when it comes to beliefs on what death is and where we go when we die. For today's episode, I thought I would bring up some different theories I came across and see what you think. One of the beliefs held by many Wiccans, Pagans, and also witches who perhaps don't identify as Wiccan is the Summerland. Scott Cunningham describes this as a place where the soul goes to live forever. And in his book, Wicca, A Guide for the Solitary Practitioner, he states, this realm is neither in heaven nor the underworld. It simply is a non-physical reality much less dense than ours. Some Wiccan traditions describe it as a land of eternal summer with grassy fields and sweet flowing rivers, perhaps the earth before the advent of humours, humans even, humours. Others see it vaguely as a realm without forms where energy swells coexist with the greatest energies, the goddess and god in their celestial identities. So I read that if we died old and deformed upon entering Summerland, we are once again youthful and vibrant. Many believe that in the Summerland, we see ourselves as we wish to be. But how Summerland is viewed differs from which to which. And researching for this episode, I came across so many contradictions, which of course can be expected with a topic as important as death. This is in essence a form of the pagan afterlife, which is comparable with the Christian's afterlife with some pagan differences. It's believed souls travel to the Summerland after death to await reincarnation, and the Summerland is said to be part of the astral plane. Once the soul learns or experiences all it needs, the reincarnation cycle ends then the soul is said to stay in Summerland for eternity. Of course, beliefs on exactly how this happens vary. 
The beliefs around the Summerland have a lot of Celtic Otherworld and Norse afterlife influence too. Emanuel Swedenborg, who was a Swedish pluralistic Christian theologian, scientist, philosopher and mystic, inspired Andrew Jackson Davis during the 1800s with his major work, The Great Harmonia, to say that Summerland is the pinnacle of human spiritual achievement in the afterlife. That is, it is the highest level or sphere of the afterlife we can hope to enter. And strangely enough, my Scottish great-granddad was part of the Swedenborg Society. C.W. Ledbetter, a theosophist, taught that those who were good in their previous earthly incarnation went to a place called Summerland between incarnations. A quote from a Wiccan that I came across online, a random Wiccan, they didn't state their name or anything, regarding the Summerlands, stated, the Summerland is the great crossover. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just the place we go where there is no more pain or suffering. We wait there until it is our time for our souls to return in another physical body. And then we can move on to our next lifetime. Some souls may be finished incarnating and they stay in the Summerland to guide newly arriving souls through the transition. Reincarnation is, of course, central to this belief and, of course, can help many who believe in this to accept the physical state of death. This philosophy can often help the living and the dead. It can help many to not fear death as a final plunge into oblivion the days of life on earth forever behind them. It is seen as the door to birth, as witches, many of us recognise symbolically how we are linked with the endless cycles of the seasons which shape our planet. Ray Buckland, the author of Wicker for Life, states, Summerland is, as we might expect, a beautiful place. What we know of it is what we have gleaned from people who have returned from near-death experiences and from accounts obtained by genuine mediums who communicate with the dead. So, generally, Christians believe in heaven and hell. Many Norse pagans believe in Valhalla. The ancient Romans believed that warriors went to Elysian fields. The Asphodel Meadows is a section of the ancient Greek underworld, where ordinary souls are sent to live after death. For those pagans who don't have a defined name or description of the afterlife, there is still typically a notion that the spirit and the soul live on somewhere, even if we don't know where it is or what to call it. The Wiccan belief is that we spend a certain amount of time between lives, resting and rejuvenating. During this period of rest, the next life on the physical plane is planned and prepared. The purpose of each reincarnation into the physical dimension is to foster the evolution and growth of the soul. Summerland is said to have its origins in ancient Celtic lore. The Celts were said to have very little fear of death and no concept of sin or punishment. And the Celts also called the Summerlands Magmel or the Plains of Joy. Because many Wiccans, pagans, witches believe in the eternal nature of the soul and its eventual reincarnation back into the physical plane of reality, death is not considered as a time of mourning, but rather a time of celebration. For many, death signifies the ending of a learning period. 
the individual has completed this part of their cycle and has, so to speak, graduated. For many, the body is understood to be a wonderful and valuable tool through which the soul can experience physical reality. According to Wicca, there are no hard rules about what should happen to the physical remains of one that has passed. However, once the soul has left the body, many Wiccans, pagans, witches see little value in celebrating the physical remains and often favour cremation or an eco-friendly burial and a simple death ceremony. Wiccans, pagans, witchy funerals tend to be less formal than some other religious ones can be. This is said to be as often they do not believe that death is something that should be excessively mourned. Many Wiccans, pagans, witches believe that the departed person has simply left their physical shell, but that their spirit or soul continues to live on. And that's when I should have realised that my mum is a witch. I believe in the Summerlands. I believe in this I, I respect all everybody's different beliefs on death and what happens afterwards, absolutely. I don't class myself anymore. Like, I don't class myself as anything, really, like as a Wiccan or anything religion-wise. I used to, but I guess I would say I'm just distinctly pagan, a lover of the old ways. I just don't really sit with any title, I guess, because I find that my mixture of witchcraft is very... Uh, eclectic and I'm not the most disciplined person so I feel that it'd be more more respectful for me to not adopt any titles but I do believe in the Summerland and I would like to have my own funeral in a similar concept but we will talk a little bit more about that on the episode shortly. So in regards to the Wiccan afterlife after my waffling the Wiccan afterlife or Summerland is also known as the land of the fairies the Shining Land, and the Land of the Young. And it is described as a place where it is perpetually summer. All those autumn and winter lovers are like, no, there are meadows of sweet grass and herbs, babbling brooks and rivers, grasslands and lush forests. This ideology is similar to the Welsh view of Anwyn as an afterlife realm. All those people that can't stand summer are like, I'm sure we don't sweat there. I'm sure it just feels like a normal, nice temperature and you don't get chub rub or anything like that. So Summerland has its origins in ancient Celtic lore. The Celts also called the Summerland Magmel or Plains of Joy. And it is considered to be a perfect place made up of fragrant meadows, sweet rivers and lush forests. The Celts had little fear of death and no concept of sin and punishment. I'm just thinking like, I would quite like that, but can you like stipulate, like, do you think that you can have lots of the food that you like, like Chinese or, (laughs) or, you know, can you sort I don't know. Yeah. Get to, I don't know. That would be nice. Anyway. Um, So the Celts had very little fear of death, no concept of sin and punishment. The Celts believed that when they died, isn't that sad? Like the only thing I thought about when I pass on is, will there be Chinese there? I'm so sorry. Like I really like sweet and sour sauce and um, seaweed. That would make me very happy. Anyway, back to the show. Um, So again, the Celts believed that when they died, their souls entered the summer land where they would be renewed, I'm such a fat kid, and made ready for rebirth. Many Wiccans have adopted the idea of the Celtic summer lands and believe that like the Celts, their souls will return to the summer lands upon physical death. 
Some believe Summerland is perhaps the earth before the advent of humans. I believe Scott Cunningham referenced that in his book, as quoted earlier. Others see it vaguely as a realm without forms. Again, Scott Cunningham references this, where energy swirls coexist with the greatest energies, the goddess and god in their celestial identities. So Wiccans are said to not believe in hell. Again, I believe that's a similar pagan concept or in an eternity of punishment for one lifetime of sin. Some, however, do believe that you may be punished for the harm that you do. The soul is said to review the past life, perhaps through some mysterious way with the deities. This isn't a judgment, a weighing of one's soul, but an incarnational review. Lessons learned or ignored are brought to light. So as before, the belief is that we spend a certain amount of time between lives, resting and rejuvenating. During this period of rest, the next life on the physical plane is planned and prepared. The purpose of each reincarnation into the physical dimension is to foster the evolution and the growth of the soul. After the proper time, when the conditions on earth are correct, the soul is reincarnated and life begins again. It's said that when it comes to our final incarnation, many Wiccans believe that after rising upon the spiral of life and death and rebirth, those souls who have attained perfection break away from the cycle forever and dwell with the goddess and God. Nothing is ever lost. The energies resident in our souls return to the divine source from which they originally emanated. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So Wiccan, Pagan, witchy funerals are often held outdoors often in woods, in a garden, by the sea. If the body of the departed person is present, attendees might form a circle around the departed one. Sometimes white candles and flowers are used as the colour white represents new beginnings and rebirth. If modern circumstances do not allow the body to be present, a circle might be formed around a photo or around the loved one's ashes instead. If it's more of, say, a Wiccan funeral, there may be a high priest or priestess present. They may give a speech once the circle has been cast. There might be a death ritual that's performed at this funeral. One of the core beliefs of Wicca and many witches, to be fair, is a respect for the earth. Environmentally conscious funerals are preferred 
That means if it's possible, the body will be wrapped in a biodegradable cloth and buried. Wiccans believe that returning the body to the earth is a way of giving thanks for the services it has offered the soul. Being returned to the earth is an important part of a Wiccan funeral. In saying that, if cremation is preferred, then they will often opt to scatter the ashes somewhere outside that was, of course, meaningful to the past witch. Again, this differs across the board. This is just an outline of some generals that happen when it comes to the funerals and, you know, the overall beliefs in regards to the Summerland. I'm not saying if it's right or wrong. You know, it's just what I found that is out there when it comes to us witches. So I found it very difficult to find information relating to deaf midwives and information in regards to old deaf traditions when it came to healers and so on. So in regards to deaf doulas, they help support someone who knows death is coming. They work with them to draw up a death plan or a deaf soul map and take care of anything that they need to plan before their death. They provide non-medical support to the person dying and their family. They can analyze perhaps any gaps or issues that they might see in that person's life that need to be sewn up before they pass to ensure peace for the person passing and reassurance for the family living. A lot of deaf doulas have an understanding of the person dying's wishes and expectation for the process. So it might be that they can make decisions on their behalf should they reach a stage where they're incapacitated. They can look after them and advocate like advocate for them at a traumatic time. This person should be on their side and support their deaf experience. So they may look at the sort of deaf map process and ask them questions such as, you know, when they are on their deathbed, what would it look like to them? If you could choose your final moments, what would they look like? And this sets the tone for what they want when it comes up. And these are actually questions that I wanted to explore for myself. And you might want to also. Me and my mum actually have quite a few chats about death. We both agree we're not scared of passing it's more of a fear of losing those that we love from a selfish perspective I will add in the show notes a video I watched by a deaf doula that talks all about her processes so she stated that dying actually takes a lot of concentration and focus I will fail so badly on that so she talks them through like the whole process whilst they are on their deathbed, such as, you know, I'm now lighting this candle, I'm just going to wipe your brow and so on, so as not to jar them out of the experience that they are having. She advised that life starts to leave from your feet first, then your hands, then the blood starts to leave your extremities as it's harder for the the blood to reach there as your heart slows down. So a deaf doula would be conscious of this. They might help massage your feet as this process starts and just support the body through this time. She also stated that for many family or friends who might be caring for the individual dying, they might experience feelings following the passing where they have a lack of purpose or not knowing what to do with themselves as they've had such an important job up till now. 
The deaf doula has a key role as that individual experiences their last breath. They make the space ready for deaf vigils and last visits, providing comfort for the person dying and the family. An interview I read with Angie Buchanan, a deaf doula, stated that when someone is passing over, she will tell them that they are not alone, they are loved and valued, and when they have passed, she'll continue to talk with them and assure them that they are still not alone. Dependent on their belief system, she will sometimes petition their ancestors or deities to come to meet them. She also felt that by whisking the body off to the funeral home too soon after their passing robs everyone of the poignancy of the moments after their death, which can be distinctly important for the family and the deceased. A death doula nowadays might handle your social media, so would notify of the deceased person's passing. They'd let all your friends know, they would close down your accounts. They might handle getting rid of objects in your home that you don't want your family to know about. Things such as grimoires, diaries, magical altar tools, ritual objects, letters. Blimey, that makes me break out in a sweat. I'd have to ask the, the deaf doula to have a huge bonfire of all my diaries. It's worth thinking about these things, though, no matter what age we are. I hope I'm not going to go anytime soon, but it has got me thinking about how the whole process would and could look. They would look after any send-offs you might require. So perhaps make formal offers on your behalf to return your body to the elements, carry out a ceremonial blessing with oil or a ritual bath. Many witches like to be bathed before passing on as it's seen as the last rite, same as we would prepare for any ritual. They would also handle exactly how you want to be buried too. Some new environmentally friendly alternatives to burials have recently become available. These environmentally friendly methods include flameless cremation or resumation, the infinity mushroom suit and recomposting. In flameless cremation, water replaces fire. So if you work with that element, that might be something that you would wish to use. According to Buchanan, it is 95% more eco-friendly than flame creation. In an infinity mushroom suit burial, the body is wrapped in a burial garment seeded with mushroom spores. Those mushrooms will consume skin, hair and tissue. And actor Luke Perry was buried in an infinity mushroom suit. In recomposting, human remains are composted. Ever since that fungus program on Netflix, I think that's what I would like to have. Of course, many hedge witches of old would have worked as both birth and death midwives. Many would have been responsible for practices such as washing and laying out the dead. In Britain, funerary practices begin with a lay or official declaration of death and consist of small attentions to the body itself, such as closing the eyes and covering the face. The laying out of the body or rendering the last offices was in the past a job traditionally done by women, often the local midwife. It involved undressing and washing the body, plugging its orifices. Never thought I'd say it on the podcast. I'm doing that thing now. Like we have to normalize this stuff. If necessary, placing coins, traditionally pennies on the eyelids and a bandage under the chin to hold these parts closed 
dressing the body in its grave clothes and holding limbs straight with bandages or ribbons around the body at the elbows, wrists and ankles and sometimes a thread around the big toe, ready for placing in the coffin. Each part in the past of lay funerary ritual had multiple levels of practical justification and traditional meaning. The eyelids are generally the first part of the body to set in rigor mortis, just before the jaw, hours after death. A corpse whose eyes refused to close was traditionally believed to presage like further deaths. So closing the eyes was imperative to forestall the omen and to prevent survivors' unease. The dead body is an object of great potency with a powerful presence of its own. Part of this effect derives from its embodiment of the power of death, part from the strangeness death works upon it. While the corpse retains identity, personality is absent. British funeral practices reveal that there existed a conception said by anthropologists also to operate in many other societies of a transitional period between death and burial in which the body was regarded as neither alive nor fully dead. The corpse also had ambiguous spiritual status. The care it received was thought somehow to influence the future life of the soul. Washing cleansed not only the sweat of death, but the sins of the earthly life, a sort of lay absolution. The emblematic whiteness of grave clothes dates back to at least the Jacobin period when the epigraph to John Donne's poem Death's Duel stated, just as the body is shrouded in white linen, so may be the soul. Although the traditional desirability of linen has long since waned, most mass-produced coffin sets, so matching shrouds and coffin linings, currently provided by undertakers are nevertheless white. Several traditional funerary practices, such as the customs of viewing the dead, kissing or touching the body, placing refreshments beside the body, watching the body during the period between death and burial, waking, so celebrating the funeral with food and drink, placing personal objects in the coffin and tending graves, possessed a multipotent character, practical for mourners, respectful to the deaf, and solicitous towards the soul. A change in attitude towards the corpse had begun to develop towards the end of the 19th century, probably as a result of the public health reformers' activities, whereby the older attitude of solicitude towards the dead was supplemented, even superseded by a growing perception that dead bodies were unhygienic. This attitude emphasised the need to segregate the dead away from the living. So for extra payment, undertakers began to offer wealthier people new facilities without the taint of the public mortuary to store their dead away from home. One undertaker has estimated that when he began working in 1936, 90% of bodies would be kept at home between death and burial. But today the figure is only about 5 to 10%. So this significant change in customary behaviour reveals something of a revolution in attitude towards the corpse, a new squeamishness, which means that many people accept the physical removal of the dead with relief, 
indeed seem to require it for their own psychological survival. And I do get it, but I also think it's sad because the tradition of old would be that, of course, the body would be kept within the funeral, like the family home rather, often closely guarded by the family, watching over them the entire time, saying their last words. Another tradition I came across that the lovely Kerry on Facebook advised me of is where the window would be opened for a recently passed family member to leave through. And she said, and this really got me, we are taught to fear death, but it's as moving as loving and as birth. And I wholeheartedly agree with her. She also stated death was a village affair just as birth was. Her own grandma did it herself, aiding with births and laying out the dead. Now we have huge organisations that care for our health and well-being. And naturally, we have lost so much of that, which is no fault of our health services at all. But perhaps something as which is we might consider when it comes to our own passing or anyone within our family, which I know is a difficult thing to contemplate. It recognises that we must have these conversations about death before it is too late, normalising it in a way. And again, in Kerry's words, death is as normal as birth and can be beautiful. And I think she's spot on. So I have a farewell ritual you might wish to carry out to love, to honour a loved one who has passed away and to pay homage to cherished memories that you may have shared. So for this, you will need a purple candle, three large sage leaves, a photo of your loved one, an envelope, pen and a garden spade. Light the purple candle on your altar or a table. Take several deep breaths and allow your body to relax. Take a moment to focus your energy on the person who has passed away. Focus on memories that brought you joy and on characteristics and attributes you most admired about that person. When you're ready, write a letter to him or her. Allow your feelings to come out onto the paper in whatever form they need to take. The length doesn't matter. The style should be your own and don't hold anything back. Once the letter is complete, place it along with three large sage leaves in the envelope. Seal the envelope with the wax from the purple candle. Use the garden spade to bury the letter in a place that was special to you and that person or in your backyard. After burying the letter, Place your hands on the raised mound and project your energy deep into the earth. So I also have some words that you can speak on the passage of a loved one. Time has passed. The wheel has turned. It is time for you, and then you say their name, to move on. You will walk hand in hand with the Lord and Lady and with your ancestors who came before you. Great Mother, welcome, you use their name back into your womb and great father welcome him back into your divine instruction let him come to you and know that he has been blessed by your gracious gift of life let him come into your divine love and let him know that he has left behind a life of legacy that he shall be remembered and loved as he enters your world wrap him in your loving arms and welcome him back home let him speak to the ancient ones and to learn the greater mysteries that lie beyond the veil. 
Give him strength to take these final steps and allow him to do so with peace and dignity. Those of us left behind shall indeed mourn his death. We shall also know that his soul and spirit is coming back to Holy Mother and Holy Father and that he shall be made whole again. We shall cry, but we shall also laugh, for we shall celebrate the life that had been given to, and use their name, and let him also know that as we now merry part, that we shall also merry meet again. And we now with these candles, and you might want to light some candles here, respect the flame of, insert their name, their life, and though these candle flames shall die out, we know that, insert their name, shall live on and their flames shall never cease to burn. And we also know that he shall be reborn anew. Take him by the hand and guide him back into your heart, for this is what is right and just. Let him walk unerringly down the path that leads to your love. This is our will, so mote it be. So that is a very Wiccan type passing. So you might wish to change that in any way you see fit. I will link that in the show notes, but it gives you a kind of outline for something that you may wish to use if and when the time comes for somebody. And lastly, I will read out to you a very well-known poem that many of us, I think this is like very witchy. This is something we used at my granddad's funeral. We do not die. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awake in the morning's hush, I am the swift uplifting rush of quiet birds in circled flight. I am the soft starshine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. I got afraid about crying. So I just want to say, if you are going through the passing of somebody, if you are looking after somebody, or if you have someone that is in that process at the moment, I'm sending you so much love right now. I can't, it's, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I am sending you so much love. I hope this episode isn't too triggering. I hope it might have helped. I hope that it might bring a bit more awareness to this. Like I said, the farewell ritual prayer and so on will all be linked in the show notes. You can find all this information in the Grimoire pages over on the White Witch Coven on Patreon if you wish to sign up and join us. We also have our witchy community, which is really active. We have an exclusive Patreon podcast episode each month, tons of extra witchy content on there. So I'll put the links in the show notes for that. That is just £6 a month. You can cancel at any time. I will link all my socials in the show notes. If you feel the call to, and you could leave me a review on Apple Podcast, I would be very grateful. It means more witches can find the show. I will be talking to you soon about my book that is due to be coming out in October. I'm very excited about that. So I will bring some of that to the show shortly. Aside from that, have a great week, witches. Lots and lots of witchy love.
when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.